Tonight, we're actually going to get to the passage that when you think of Jonah, if you grew up in the church or grew up with Veggie Tales, when you think of Jonah, you think of what Anna just read. You might not have known about all the other stuff we've talked about the previous month. And I actually want to talk about this before we get into uh, the passage a little deeper, because if you don't have a church background, if you don't, you haven't read the Bible, you don't believe this stuff much. A friend invited you tonight or you're here out of curiosity or any other reason. The very first verse she read, you're thinking, wait, come again. I knew this would happen. I knew if I went to this place and they open up the Bible and teach from it, the first verse out of her mouth is about a giant sea creature swallowing this guy and he stays alive for three days and three nights. And he's like praying and we have a record of his prayer from this. I knew this would happen. Can we take this passage particularly tonight, literally, or is everything in Jonah, is this passage, is the fish, is everything figurative? It's a really helpful moral fable that, you know, we're supposed to learn some inspirational lessons from. But we can't really put full stock in this account. Well, obviously, I think we take this literally that this happened historically, that this happened physically. But what's the evidence for it? Really quickly, uh, the way that this account is described in the passage has has huge literary credibility. Fiction writers, if they had had a hold of this story, what would they have done with this account? The fish swallowing Jonah and whatever happened before and right after that would be the entire embellished, descriptive, slow motion, frame by frame, Hollywood stylized account. It would have been the focus of the whole story. In reality, in four chapters, in scores and scores of verses of this story in Jonah, this fish gets four words. Dog gadol in Hebrew, great sea creature. It's a pre-taxonomy culture. They didn't have mammals and fishes and subclasses of fishes. If there was a giant thing in the ocean and you're not a seafaring culture, you called it a giant sea creature. And so that's what the, that's what the, the, the creature is referred to as in a side comment. It's not the focus. There's no description of how it got Jonah, of what it looked like, of what it was like and sounded like and and felt like and smelled like inside of the fish. The fish is a secondary at best concern. That's what you expect with accurate historical accounts of details like that. An embellished, stylized account you would expect from fiction. The other one is a little bit bigger. Jesus himself, hundreds of years later, quotes this passage, this story, and believes it to be true. Jesus himself makes a physical, literal, and historical correlation to this account of Jonah. He says, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so I will also be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. That's a historical, literal, physical claim he's making correlated there. And so if we are to take Jesus as a truth teller and to to approach this passage as Jesus does, we have to approach it that way. Third, there's only one more after this. A little perspective helps. If minor, lesser, miraculous things like this are problematic, you're going to have a really big problem when you get to what all of Christianity, the Bible, the gospel hinges on, which is the physical, bodily, historic, literal resurrection of a man claiming to be God incarnate, dying for the sins of his people. Being swallowed by a fish has happened historically. We're not going to get into that stuff, but that's not that hard to believe compared to what's the crux of all of Christianity. 
And so some perspective on this helps. And the last is this. If you come to the Bible presupposing that miracles aren't real, the only thing in the world that's real is things that are testable, verifiable, empirically provable. We've just got to be honest. That truth claim itself cannot be verified, proven, tested. So you are approaching the Bible by a faith commitment saying none of this stuff is possible. It's not real. And if I could say this humbly, we can debate later if you want to. Perhaps you have less of a historical account undergirding your faith commitment that miraculous things can't happen than people who had believed this passage. These are ancient documents preserved thousands of years, disseminated across the ancient Near East, and we're hearing about them tonight, accepted by Israel, accepted by the early church. For those four reasons, I just wanted to put the cards on the table up front and not gloss over it. That's why we believe this to be a literal figurative or literal uh, physical historic account that you can put stock in and listen to uh, and dig deep into.